Good morning, everyone. Sorry for being a couple minutes late. I have the family visiting me in the office. <laughs> Hello, Tuna. Hello, Tuna. <laughs> the way. Oh, my goodness. All right, I'll see you later. All right, good morning, everyone. Okay, so Jake is not here today. He is on vacation in Croatia, so it's just going to be me today. And uh, I guess we're just going to analyze all of your stocks. All right, let's do it. I guess I'll just let everyone get in here. Yes, Ralph, thank you. The cats are doing well after they were in the hospital. They're doing great now. Everything's back to normal. Oh, we have my mom in here. Good morning, mom. Hello. Nice to see you. Okay, we have a question from Bruce right away. Is there any way I can use the screener on stock unlock to find 10% or more owners of a business? So far manually, the only way is through a datarama. Um, no, you cannot do this right now, but in the future, this is something that we could definitely add into the screener. Basically, you would just be like, is there more than 10% insider ownership, which we have the data, so we, we should be able to screen for that. And thank you for that suggestion. Good morning from Alberta. Good morning from Florida. Got a lot of people from all over the world here. All right, first time here, longtime fan. Let's get into it. We already have some tickers coming in here, so let's just dive right in then. I will share my screen. We'll head over to stock on a lock. I think I just shared my screen. Oops, no, here we go. All right, entire screen, boom, boom, boom. I'm gonna put this over on the other screen. Got it. Okay, wow, lots of people just came in. I'm gonna do my best to cover as many stocks as I can in this live stream, but I'm getting a lot already, so let's just uh, go for it. Boom, Omer. Hello, Omar. Can we take a look at ATD? Absolutely. Let's do it. By the way, it's a beautiful day in Calgary right now. It's just like some freaking perfect day outside. I'm pretty stoked about it. All right. A ADT. So one of the first things I like to do whenever I'm looking at a new stock is try to just get a brief general view of what does the company do. So to do that, I scroll down here on stock on a lock. I'll zoom in a little bit. And then we have a little bit of a description down here, which says ATD engages in the provision of security, automation, and smart home solutions. The company is headquartered in Florida, 22,000 full-time employees. So it's a pretty large business. IPO to 2018. Um, also a provider of residential solar solutions. Okay. <clears throat> um, quick, 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 quick. Monitoring of integrated security and automation systems. So it looks like kind of a security business automation, smart home, and solar, apparently. So a little bit of an interesting business. We can see that it did IPO in 2018, and so far the stock has actually come down since its IPO. It's a $5 billion business as well, so it's like a mid-cap stock. But it is down. So let's see if the overall business has been growing over the past few years since it's IPO'd. So the revenue has been growing. Um, it looks like it does have a lot of expenses, though, like a lot of operating expenses. You can see here the green bars are the revenue, and then all the other bars beside the revenue is the expenses of the business. So this business, its expenses basically 
are almost all of the revenue. And the majority of those expenses are operating expenses. So I'm wondering if that is stock-based compensation. Um, but overall, the revenue has been growing. It's grown from $4.2 billion to $6.4 billion. That's 50% growth over the past five years. Not bad. Let's take a look at the cash flow as well. Operating cash flow actually is not at an all-time high. It was, well, actually, sorry, I lied. It is. It's right around an all-time high right now. Kind of went through a little bit of a downtrend right here in uh, 2020 and has been working its way back up. I would want to know why that is. So as an investor, I would want to, you know, un try to understand why did the cash flow drop so much and why is it not growing with the revenue? Because the revenue is at an all-time high right now. CapEx looks okay. So this company should be producing free cash flow, but not a lot of free cash flow. Free cash flow is down from its all-time highs, actually, at only $424 million. So that's interesting to note as well. Um, that is probably why the stock has not moved. If we go and take a look at our freeform tool here, really quickly, let's go take a look at the let's take a look at the operating cash flow first. Let's take a look at the stock price compared to the operating cash flow. Let's zoom into like right here. So, well, and maybe we'll adjust this. Let's take a look. Override zero. Nah, let's not. Well, sure. I guess we should do that for the other side then. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> okay. So we can see the stock price is the dotted blue line. Operating cash flow is the, it's kind of like a brownish red line. Shelby would be so mad at me for saying that. It probably has a specific name, but anyways. Um, we can see the operating cash flow hasn't really grown, and that is kind of why the stock price hasn't really grown either. So it seems like the stock price is kind of following the business's operating cash flow instead of its revenue. Its revenue has been growing. The stock price has not responded. So you can also see that stock prices follow profits. They do not follow revenue. So this business's profits don't seem to be growing, so the stock, in turn, is not really growing. So... Basically, if I were looking at this business, that's the main question I would want to know is like, why aren't the profits growing? Why isn't the operating cash flow growing with the revenue? Because if the profits don't grow, then the stock price probably will not grow as well. So that's kind of what I would want to know. That's what I would want to dig deeper on. But yeah, overall, my opinion on this business, it doesn't really look that exciting to me so far. It is trading for a free cash flow yield of about 8%. So Maybe there's an argument there that it is cheaper right now. And uh, I would just look into how are they going to increase free cash flow in the future. Okay, I'm going to look through the comments really quickly here because we got a lot. And um, looks like the next one is CELH. Is this Celsius Holdings? Yes. Okay. So this is a pretty huge growth stock. Wow. Okay. It's up to $150 now. So back here in 2020, I remember there was a YouTuber who covered this. I never got in the stock, but there was a YouTuber who was covering this, I think in like 2021, when it was already up here at 40. But this was a $4 stock in 2020, and it is up 3,200% since 2020. So over the past three years, that's a return of 32x in three years. That is freaking insane. That is massive. And it just keeps going up. It's on an all-time high right now. So let's take a look at the financials quick. So the revenue 
has been growing quite substantially. I mean, in 2020, it was producing $88 million of revenue. It's now basically, well, it's like a 9x. It's 9x revenue in uh, three years. That's really, that's significant revenue growth. However, you can't say that the expenses have grown faster than the revenue, and the expenses are now more than the revenue. So the company is actually, in terms of net income, it's not profitable. And it looks like the majority of ex expenses are, um, well, it has quite a decent amount of cost of revenue here. And then it also has quite a bit of selling general and administrative expenses. So that's definitely something to note. Looks like its shares have also been increasing. And you can see here that its net income went very negative recently. So something happened here. Yes, its selling general and administrative expenses have exploded, which have caused the net income to drop quite significantly. Let's take a look at the cash flow, though. What is going on here? So operating cash flow is positive. It's been negative in the past few quarters, but it is positive in the trailing 12 months. It went from negative 100 million to positive 85 million. Stock-based compensation is not really, well, it's like 25% or, wait. No, it's actually not that bad. Stock-based compensation is actually not that bad. That's good to see. CapEx is also not that bad, only 10 million in the trailing 12 months. And it is free cash flow positive. It's got $75 million of free cash flow. That is nice to see. So let's take a look here. Pretty expensive though. $11 billion market cap, 152 price to free cash flow. So let's go over to our free form tool here really quick. And this is, yeah, let's take a look at the stock price versus the revenue since 2020 when it really started taking off. So right here, right at the beginning of 2020. So right here, we can see the revenue has compounded at 106% annually. That is ridiculous. And the stock price has grown at 174% annually. That is... Wow, okay. Anyways, you can see that the total percent change to the revenue is 778%. Total percent change to the stock price is 3,148% since 2020. So you can clearly see that the stock price is growing much more rapidly than even the revenue. So whenever the stock price grows more rapidly than the revenue or the cash flow, which is what I would prefer to see, um, it means that the stock is becoming much more expensive and its price ratios are expanding. Let's actually take a look at the price to sales. Price to sales is now 14.5. Um, price to operating cash flow. Yeah, I mean, uh, 133. <laughs> so, I mean, this stock has delivered ridiculous returns for shareholders over the past few years, right? But when you're trading at a price ratio now of, you know, over 100, that basically means that this company has to continue growing at this insane growth rate over, I don't know how long, but in the future, this is basically what the market is pricing in. So, if, this, if the business does not continue growing at 100% per year, basically, then the stock looks kind of overvalued. And the thing is, not a lot of businesses can do this for a long time. Like eventually this business should see its revenue start to slow down because if it compounds at 100% per year for the next decade, that would be, I don't even know. That would, I don't even know what that would work out to. It'd be ridiculous though. And it's probably not possible. Like the numbers probably just don't make it work out. 
So there is going to be a time where the revenue does start to slow down. I don't know when that time is going to come. But when it does, then I think uh, the price ratios are going to come down in a big way. So the value investor in me is just like, no, <laughs> I just cannot. I just cannot do it. I will not pay this price right here. I just can't. Uh, I think it's pricing in a lot of risk or a lot of future growth. And if that future growth doesn't come, then yeah, you're taking on a lot of risk. But I mean, frick, congrats to anyone <laughs> who has held this stock. That is insane. And uh, that YouTuber who called out the stock, yeah, just congrats. It's been a, been a good one. All right, let's uh, take a look at some more here. Let's take a look, sorry. UNH. I think we might have talked about this one before. This is United Healthcare, right? Yes, it is. Okay, so this is a massive company. This is a $444 billion healthcare company, and its returns have been pretty insane. It is up almost 100x since 2000. It's up uh, 68x. No, sorry, about 770x. If you compare that to the S&P 500, the stock has massively outperformed the S&P 500. It's not even close. So historically, it's been a very, very good stock to own. Um, it's obviously a healthcare stock. And let's take a look at the financials here really quick. So the revenue of this business is sitting at an all-time high right now of about $336 billion. Cash flow, I like to take a look at operating cash flow first. Operating cash flow is at an all-time high of $37 billion. Stock-based compensation is also quite low relative to cash flow. Stock-based compensation is only a billion dollars, which is about 3%? of uh, operating cash flow. CapEx is also quite low relative to cash flow. It only makes, it's about, it's about 8% of uh, operating cash flow, which means that this business is a free cash flow machine with $34 billion of free cash flow in the uh, trailing 12 months here. That would also mean that the business is not that expensive right now. Price to free cash flow is only 12.98, basically 13. So if we head over to um, our freeform tool, we can take a look at the price, sorry, the price to free cash flow historically. And how is the stock trading today versus history? I like to take a look at the past about decade. So right here, and we can see that the average price to free cash flow for this business is 17.3. Latest is about 13. So it's trading below its historical averages. And also right here in the stock market crash of 2020, it was trading for about 11.3. Um, again, it's trading for about 13 today. So it's trading about, what would that be? 10-ish percent above its lows during the stock market crash of 2020. Back here in 2016, it was also trading for 10 though. Back here in 2013, it was trading for nine. So it doesn't look that expensive to me, honestly. But the thing is, is I don't know a lot about this business. I mean, obviously, it's a huge healthcare business, but um, in terms of like where is its growth going to come from in the future, I have no idea. And that is something that I would really want to understand before I invest in it. So, I mean, all we can do here really in a quick, you know, two minutes is like take a look at the financials. How is it priced relative to its financials? But one thing I want to stress is you do have to understand the business and where is its future growth going to come from? Um, let's take a look. 
at insider transactions. So insiders do look like they have been selling. Um, kind of looks, it's not like a concerning amount of selling though. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of sales going on, but if you take a look, it's like less than 1% of the shares here, 1%, 4%, 4%, 6%, 7%. So those are not like massive sales. It kind of looks like trimming to me, <clears throat> but no insider buying going on. But I mean, overall, it's selling for a 7% free cash flow yield right now. That's pretty good. Honestly, that's pretty good. And um, if the business can continue to grow from here, then, I mean, it doesn't look that bad, honestly. And I want to show you guys some new metrics, actually. So if we go to our stock unlock insights, UNH has a 3.65 score, which is good. And we just added in some of these management metrics right here. So when we were taking a look at the cash flow statement, I was saying that, you know, stock-based compensation was a low amount of operating cash flow. And you can end a low amount of revenue and everything like that. And you can see that right here. So the management score has stock-based compensation as a percent of revenue, and it's only 0.29, which is very good. So there is a little amount of stock-based compensation going on, which means that, you know, in, insiders are not diluting shareholders to pay themselves, essentially, which is a good thing to see. So yeah, that's basically my thoughts here. I would, I think that it does look like it is selling for a good price today. I would just want to know what is, uh, where's the future growth coming from? Um, all right. GM. GM would be an interesting stock to take a look at. Let's do it. General Motors. Because at least from what I can see on Twitter, it seems like people believe that all the legacy automakers are going to go out of business trying to compete with Tesla. So who knows, right? Who knows what the future holds, but I'm a little bit skeptical to believe that. I think that these businesses have have a long way to go before they die, essentially. So let's take a look. GM. Okay, so GM's revenue is sitting at $160 billion in the trailing 12 months. And what's funny is back here in like 2014, it was $156 billion. So the revenue is at an all-time high right now, but it's not that much higher than it was in 2014-ish. Let's take a look at the cash flow, though. So operating cash flow <clears throat> has grown slightly. It's at 17 billion. These companies usually have a lot of capex though. Yeah, right here. Capex is 22 billion relative to 17 billion in uh operating cash flow, which means that it's actually free cash flow negative. So surprisingly, GM is actually losing money. Which is uh not a great thing to see. And what's also interesting is GM is losing money at the same time as it is apparently paying dividends and buying back shares. So where is the money coming from? It's coming from debt then, right here. $5 billion, $5.2 billion in debt in the trailing 12 months. So, I mean, just take a look at this cash flow statement. So immediately I'm not really interested in this business because $17 billion comes in from the company's operations. That's how much the operations actually make. Then you can see that they spend $22 billion right here just on investments in property, plant, and equipment, that's CapEx, that's just like maintaining the business, trying to grow the business. So immediately they're negative free cash flow. Or sorry, they produce negative free cash flow. And then to supplement the business, they take on debt, it looks like. $5.2 billion of debt. And then with that debt, it looks like they bought back shares and paid a dividend. So yeah, I don't really like that. 
Let's take a look at the balance sheet. Um, 10% cash. Balance sheet actually doesn't look horrible. I was expecting it to be worse, actually. Um, tangible book value is growing still. Interesting. Interesting business. Um, or sorry, interesting balance sheet. But I'm just not really excited about it taking a look at it. And it doesn't surprise me that this business hasn't really... Or sorry, the stock hasn't really gone anywhere in... What is that? 13 years now? It's up 5% in 13 years. And when you take a look at the fundamentals, I mean, the revenue has hardly grown and the cash flow has hardly grown over the past decade. So stocks follow the the business behind them typically. Over the long term, they will follow the business behind them. So the reason that this stock is not up is because GM's business is has basically not grown over the past 13 years. So, yeah, I'm not... It, like, this stock does not get me excited. There's... Yeah, I mean that's that's really what it comes down to. It's it's not an exciting stock for me. It's not one I would I would be inclined to buy anytime soon. Personally. Um Take a look at some more. Okay, I just got another comment from Douglas. He says GM was Good morning, Daniel. Not the stock I wanted you to take a look at. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, now we all now we all know my opinion on GM. Sorry about that. All right. Uh, let's continue on. Let's take a look at Hims. Yeah, let's take a look at uh, Hims here. I've seen a lot of people talk about him. I had a friend who used to make YouTube videos. He no longer makes YouTube videos. And he was a big, big bull on Hims. So let's take a quick look. All right. This company, I believe it was a SPAC. So during the SPAC craze in uh, 2020, 2021, yeah, it was a SPAC. It went up, you know, 100, like 130 plus percent, more than doubled within a few months just because, you know, SPACs did their SPAC thing. Then the stock fell 86%, all the way down to $3 over the next about year and a half-ish, it looks like. However, if we zoom in, you can see that it is now up 168% from its lows, and at the peak here, it was actually up 281%. So anyone who was buying from those lows in about May of 2022 is actually up quite significantly on their position. And this was interesting because SPACs and IPOs all had the same sort of price action where they just ran massively and then they saw this massive, massive, massive decline. But I don't think that all IPOs and SPACs were created equal. I mean, the majority of them were just very subpar businesses and it deserved to go down 86%, but the whole group, all of them went down like 75 to 86%, it seemed. And in that large group, there were some stocks or businesses that I do think were worth buying. Hims could be one of them. This is, I don't own the stock. I haven't analyzed it in depth, but um, one of the stocks that I did end up buying that was an IPO in 2021 was Magnet Forensics, which was a cybersecurity company that ended up being acquired. And it fell 75% as well. 
And then I was buying it around $15 a share and it got acquired at $44 a share within like a year from the lows, which kind of sucks, honestly, but because I think that business could have went on to generate massive returns over the coming, you know, 10 plus years. But yeah, anyways, long story short, I think that there could be some, some decent businesses in this group. You shouldn't just bucket them all together. So let's take a look at him's income statements. Let's take a look just really quickly at the trailing 12 months income statement. So this business looks like it started producing, well, it started reporting revenue, at least in the first quarter, $52 million in revenue. It's up to 616 million. So it's 10 X revenue. Is that right? It's 10 X revenue in two years. Not bad. Not bad at all. Shares have remained around consistent since an IPO'd or SPAC. Not bad. Cost of revenue is also quite low. Gross profit is quite high. So all of the expenses are in selling general and administrative expenses. You can see the dark red bar is the uh, cost of revenue. So the cost of revenue is actually quite low. The operating expenses are where uh, everything is going. So it was producing negative operating cash flow. Looks like it has now switched positive in the trailing 12 months. And in the most recent quarter produced $10 million of operating cash flow. So it looks like they are getting to profitability. Stock-based compensation is decent though. That is 48 million here, which is about 8% of revenue. You know, that's uh, definitely something to account for, especially while they're not producing any positive operating cash flow, because this is going to dilute shareholders. Their CapEx overall is low. CapEx is around 1.5% of revenue, maybe 1.3% of revenue. And free cash flow is now positive. So what I would like to see from HIMS is them, well, what they are doing now is they're actually focusing, it looks like, on getting their profits up. And if they can continue this trend, then this thing could produce some significant profits in the future because their CapEx is low. They're... they're their uh, cost of revenue is low. So a lot of that could, tr could translate into profits if they start focusing more on profits and really getting profits up, which again, it does look like they are doing. Um, let's take a look at the insider transactions going on. Okay, so we have some selling. 11% of the shares, 78% of the shares. Not any buys going on recently, it looks like. Decent amount of selling going on. Um, one thing we did not take a look at actually is the balance sheet. So 49% of the assets are cash and they have little liabilities. 85% of, uh, or sorry, the liabilities are only 15% and uh, assets are 85%. I know half of those assets are total cash. So $184 million in cash, $63 million of liabilities. So if the company wanted to, they could take its cash position, wipe out all its debt, and still have $120 million of cash. So it's very financially sound. $1.76 billion market cap, though. So this is the this is the hard part for me, is this company is basically generating, like, no profits right now. And it looks like they're focusing heavily on just growing the business and they've done a fantastic job of that by the way a very fantastic job of growing revenue but whenever a company doesn't have a lot of profits going on like this i always struggle to know like how much of the revenue could actually translate to profits for shareholders and i just don't know 
So that would be like the number one question I would want to ask if I were seriously considering this business is like, okay, they got a great amount of revenue, but what does that look like? Let's say five years out, how much of that revenue is actually going to become profits? Because as we already saw in the stream earlier on, businesses do not follow the revenue typically. They follow the profits the company generates. So at some point, this business is going to have to start turning that money or the revenue into profits. And then the question is just how much, how much can become profits? And uh, I don't know. So yeah, right here, you can see stock-based compensation as a percent of revenue is about 8%. That is bad. That's a lot of stock-based compensation going on. It's not, it's not the worst I've seen, but it's a, it's a decent amount. And it's a lot of operating cash flow because the company is not producing essentially any operating cash flow right now. Growth is amazing though. I mean, that's some ridiculous growth. Profitability is on the lower end right now. So you can see that's what, this is what I mean. They have a, they have a good uh, gross margin because they have low cost of revenue, but they're not really focusing on turning that into any sort of profits yet. And I would like to see them start to do that. And then the, the balance sheet is very good. Very, very good. So yeah, that's kind of my opinion on hymns. I don't think it's quite there for me yet. It's definitely interesting. It's definitely a growth stock, but uh, it's uh, it's not quite there for me yet. I'm not sold on it quite yet. But people who bought it recently over the past like year, y'all done a great job. So congrats. Definitely congrats. Um, I'm just going to... <laughs> I'm just going to catch up and see if there's any any comments I should address here. Okay, so Stefan says, I believe that this is in regards to hymns. Very sticky business model, high revenue growth, decent gross margins. Exactly, exactly. Good balance sheet, although still not profitable. Yep. Marketing expenses are like 70% of operating expenses. Okay. That would basically mean that if the company wanted to, they could lower down their operating or sorry, their marketing expenses and become cash flow positive almost immediately then. Well, actually immediately. In fact, yes, immediately. However, if they're going to slow down operating expenses, then that would most likely also translate to slowing revenue growth, which would be a trade-off. So it's that's what I mean is it looks like the company right now is focusing on growing its revenue as much as possible. And as I said, they're doing a fantastic job. Revenue grew 10x in three years, I believe. So they're doing a fantastic job of that. And then at some point, I would like to see them slow down that marketing expense and start translating that more into free cash flow. And um, one way to probably figure that out would be to go th through the company's SEC filings, their 10K, their 10Qs, or their MDAs, their management discussion and analysis, and just look at what they're saying. Or even go to the transcript and listen to the conference calls and see what, you know, the CEO is saying and what their plans are there and when they might slow down the operating or sorry, the, uh, the marketing expenses. That's what I would do if I were going to seriously look into this business. Um, let's do... Sorry, there's a lot of comments to read. There's a lot of comments, man. Okay. Oh, man, there's so many good ones. Okay, there's one here that I want to talk about. I can do this one quickly. Oh, this is from Douglas again. I'm not 
I literally chose this randomly, so Douglas, you're getting very lucky today, apparently. <laughs> Can you take a look at IIPR for me? Thanks. IIPR is a company that leases buildings to cannabis companies. And the reason it's got a 10% dividend right now, so I imagine that people are very excited about this dividend and the stock is down 75% from its all-time highs. Um, I believe that the revenue for this business was also growing quite significantly. Yes, so the revenue growth has been great. If you take a look at the trailing 12 months, revenue growth has been great. The problem is there is like no cannabis company that is profitable right now, which basically means that IIPR's tenants, since it leases real estate to cannabis companies, it means that their tenants are basically all unprofitable and running out of cash, which means that eventually these tenants at, at the current economics of the cannabis industry, those tenants are going to go under at some point, which means ultimately that IIPR's tenants are highly risky. So I don't know if their tenants are going to be around in three years, essentially, which also translates to me saying, I don't know if the revenue is going to be around in three years because they're generating revenue from these speculative businesses, basically. So that makes this business inherently speculative as well. And I would not be buying it personally. Um, Next one, IBN versus HDB. I will talk about this because I just did a video on HDB letting everyone know that I am buy a buyer of this stock right now. I actually sold Adobe, um, which I announced on my channel. I sold Adobe because I thought that the run was insane and I thought that the uh, stock got quite expensive. And then I put that money into HDB and because I thought HDB was selling for a much more attractive price, especially relative to its future growth. So now let's take a look at IBN versus HDB. So what we can do here is go to our insights and go HDB versus IBN. And let's compare the insights of these two businesses. So HDB 4.4 rate insight score, IBN 4.35. HDB is a little bit better in terms of stock and lock scoring. Both of these are very good though. Both very, very good. HDB has grown revenue at 16%. IBN slightly higher 16.6%. Net income has grown by 35% versus HDB's 20%. So IBN looks like it is growing a little bit more quickly. Dividends on both of these businesses, 5.5, five, very good. Um, financial health on HDB looks a little bit better. It has a higher efficiency ratio. That's really where the, the score is coming from. Sorry, it actually has a lower efficiency ratio, but a lower efficiency ratio is better for a bank because it means that the bank is more efficient and it's turning... Um, more revenue into profits, essentially. These are very similar businesses. What the heck? Okay. HDB's deposits are growing a lot more fast. Sorry, a lot more quickly. 20%. To me, this is this is much more attractive because a bank essentially uses its deposits to fuel future growth. So I really like to see deposits growing. And it's growing almost at double the rate as uh, IBM. Interest income 20% growth, 30% growth. Non-interest income is growing faster at HDB. Loans are growing less interesting. And tangible book value per share is growing faster at IBN. Revenue, basically the same. Net income is better over here. Book value is better over here. Tangible book value better. So IBN is actually growing faster in every area except for deposits, which is very interesting to see. HDB's net margin is also higher than IBN's. And it's getting a slightly better return on tangible equity and return on equity in general. 
basically the same though. These are both very good banks, okay? I mean, both very good banks. And full disclosure, I actually own both of these. Um, let's take a look at them in the freeform tool though. I do have a larger position in HDB though. I think that uh, HDB personally is the higher quality business. But I do think that IBN is also a very attractive business and um, I do own a position in it. But let's take a look at these businesses' revenue growth historically. And um, HDB is the blue line. IBN is the maroon. Maybe this is a maroon. I don't know. But to me, it looks brownish red. <laughs> okay. Anyways, you can see that HDB has grown its revenue more historically because it was much lower over here. And now it is basically almost catching up to IBN. So if you take a look at that, the compounded annual growth rate, it's been about 20.6% since 2008. Whereas IBN has been about 10% versus 2008. Um, let's take a look at the past decade right here. So HDB is compounded revenue at 18%, IBN at around 12%. Let's take a look at net income though. This is actual profits for the bank. And HDB has been about 20%, IBN has been about 13%. IBN also had this period right here from 2015 to 2019 where their net income dropped quite significantly. And now it's been growing strong since about 2019, but... Yeah, they did have a period where it kind of didn't grow, whereas HDB has just been a consistent grower, and it grows at like 20% per year. And this is something that I pointed out on my channel, is HDB just likes to grow their metrics at 20% per year, seemingly every freaking year. I mean, whenever we zoom in, and almost on every single time frame we look at, it has compounded its net income and its revenue at 20%. The further back you go, the higher the growth rate goes, but... It's a ridiculous stock. It's a ridiculous business. And uh, I think that it can continue to do this for like the next decade, if not longer. I think this growth rate will slow down at some point in the future. I don't know when it's going to come, but I still think they got a long, long runway of growth ahead of them. So basically, I think that HDB is just the higher quality business. It grows faster. And uh, I got rid of IBM prematurely. It grows faster, it's more consistently growing, and I just I just simply think it's a little bit more of a high-quality business. So, let's take a look at the P.E. ratios. And IBN's P.E. ratio is slightly lower than HDB's currently. Um, HDB's is at around 20. So it is a slightly lower quality bank, in my opinion. And I think that the price ratio reflects that because it does trade at a slight discount. Now, where I bought HDB was around right here when the difference in the price ratios was more significant. Was it around here? I actually think I'm lying right now. I don't think I bought it right there. I actually don't. I, I'm going to discard that comment because I don't remember exactly where I bought IBN. In the future, I'll, I'll go take a look at my transactions and let everyone know where I bought them because it wasn't right here. I've owned IBN for longer than that. Maybe I actually bought IBN at a premium. I don't know, but I bought IBN at some point. I wanted to own both of these bags. And yeah, so that's kind of my thoughts on IBN versus uh, HDB. Now, let's talk a little bit about HDB versus Adobe, because I'm probably going to be asked, why did I sell 
Adobe for HDB. I'll quickly cover that. So the metric that I like to use on Adobe is price to free cash flow. And I do not like to use free cash flow metrics on banks. So we're going to have to do a little bit of uh, going back and forth here. And I'm going to show you all Adobe's price to free cash flow with stock based compensation excluded from the free cash flow. Oh my goodness. I'm sorry, everyone. Oh, this is the one I want right here. Uh, let's go to right there. This is like the most recent stock based compensation data we have. So, boom. Adobe's price to free cash flow, excluding stock based compensation, got up to around 30 ish. It actually got up to around 35-ish. Our data is just lagging a little bit here for the stock-based compensation. But it got to around like 30, 35-ish, which I thought was a pretty high price for Adobe because the business is growing its free cash flow at around 7% right now. So basically, you're, I was paying a, by holding the stock, I was paying a 35 price to free cash flow for 7% annual free cash flow growth. Now, if you go to HDB's price to earnings ratio, get rid of Adobe now just for uh, simplicity. HDB's price to earnings ratio is around 20 and it's growing its earnings at 20% per year. So when you compare that, Adobe 35 price to free cash flow, 7% free cash flow growth versus HDB 20 price to earnings versus 20% earnings growth, HDB looked like it was much, much cheaper. So that was basically what it came down to. HDB just looked like it was a much cheaper stock and Adobe looked like it got quite expensive. Okay. David says, HDB equals great stock, but fairly valued. I would agree with this. I think that it is fairly valued today. I don't think that it's overvalued. I do not think that it is cheap. And I do think that it is a great business. Um, what do you think about TrueLeaf now? I'm actually doing a video. My next video on my main channel is going to be covering TrueLeaf and my thoughts on this business. So I will answer that question on my main channel in the next video. Okay. Um, take a look at Burl. Okay. Why not? Burlington Stores. Okay. $10 billion retail company. Um, looks like it's been around since about 2013. It was a $25 stock, and it is now up 425% since its IPO, which means that it is outperforming the S&P 500. Has been a very volatile stock. In 2020, before the stock market crash, it was worth $245. So it's actually down. Yeah, so it's actually down since um, before the stock market crash. Free cash flow yields only 2%, really. So they're obviously a retailer, but what do they do? Retail of off-price apparel and home products. Okay. So their revenue is not at an all-time high. It looks like they do have a lot of expenses. The revenue is up since pre-COVID, though. But their cash flow is not up. Their cash flow is actually better pre-COVID. So this is another example right here where stocks do not follow revenue. They follow profits and cash flow. Because the revenue is higher than 2020, 
but the cash flow is lower than 2020 and the stock is lower than 2020. So this company clearly follows its profits, not its revenue. Um, I would want to know why this is. Why is cash flows, or sorry, why are cash flows not following revenue? And then it does look like it has free cash flow of 254 million. Cash flow looks like it bounces all over the place. I mean, you know, you got good cash flow here, then it goes negative in 2021, then it goes very positive in 2021, then negative again, now it's positive again. So very volatile cash flows, which also probably is why the stock has been very volatile over the past few years as well. This is not an exciting stock to me. <laughs> this is uh, a very, very volatile business, it looks like. Its cash flows go all over the place, which probably means it's going to be hard to predict the cash flows in the future. And even today, it's trading for a price-to-free cash flow of 40, which is a free cash flow yield of 2.4%. So it doesn't even look like it's that cheap today to me. So it looks like it's kind of an, an expensive business with very volatile and unpredictable cash flows, so yeah, I'm not I'm not too uh, interested in this one at least, and that's kind of why. All right, um, I'm gonna move on to the next stock. Oh, Kevin asks Daniel, will you be talking about Admu? Yeah. So, in our last live stream, at the very end, I said. We're going to do a little bit of a research project on Atmu. And I, I was going to, well, I told everyone to go do some research on Atmu and then we would talk about it. So I guess I should talk about it. But I also wrote a subscribers only newsletter going deep into Atmu and its financials and everything. Now, I kind of, I liked the idea of, you know, at the end of a stream saying, okay, research this stock over the next week and the next stream we'll talk about it. But I got a lot of feedback saying that Atmu was too difficult because there's no data on the stock outside of its SEC filings. And if you want to get data on the business, then you have to go through like 200 pages of SEC filings. So a lot of the feedback I got was like, this is a cool idea, but the first one, this Atmu is like too difficult, bad call. So I apologize about that. But overall, um, yeah, I mean, you're not you're not really going to get any data on this business, even on stock and lock. You're not going to get any data. But overall, this business was spun off from Cummins. Am I? And it is their air filtration business. So Cummins is this massive company, massive global conglomerate. And then they spun off Atmu, and Atmu is just Cummins filtration business. Atmu is generating. Um, I wish I had my notes. I wish I had my notes ready. I should have been writing for this. I apologize. Anyways, Atmu, I believe, is trading for a price to free cash flow of something like eight right now. It's growing its its cash flows. It's growing its revenues. It's growing all of its profits, and it looks like it has a decent runway for growth. I believe that they're going, or, or the market they're in is growing by about 5 to 6% per year. So it's not a high growth business at Moo right here. Not a high growth business at all, but it is growing. It looks like it's growing steady. 
and it is trading for, I believe, a price to free cash flow of around eight. Oh, do we have the data now? Stock Unlock says it has a price to free cash flow of, uh, yeah. Yeah, okay, we actually have the data here now. It came in. So yeah, this is the free cash flow. This is the correct free cash flow right here, 204 million. And so this is how much free cash flow the company has generated in the last year. Now, when you go to the company's market cap, it's a $1.83 billion company. So the price to free cash flow now is actually nine, which means that it has a free cash flow yield of around 11%, which means, you know, if the company wanted to pay out 100% of its free cash flow, it could pay out a dividend of 11%, which is quite attractive. I mean, this company could basically deliver you 10% plus returns using its cash flow and not have to grow at all in the future. That's market beating returns. And it is still growing its revenue by 5 to 6% per year, it looks like. That's why I thought that it looked attractive. Um, do we have the data? We don't have the data on the cash position yet, though. So we don't have the data on the cash position yet, it looks like. But the balance sheet did look decently strong to me as well. If you take a look at the assets versus liabilities, it has a lot more assets than liabilities. And... The reason why I initially was interested in the stock is because it's a spinoff. And typically, spinoffs, the, the company that spins off their segment, so like Cummins spun off Admiral, whenever a company does that, they like to give it a lot of cash and make it, and give it basically a strong financial position and set the company up for success. Because Cummins, well, one, they own 80% of Admiral, so they're heavily invested in this business. They clearly want it to succeed. And there's also, like, man, I don't know. I don't have the right words right now. I'll put it this way. If Atmu were to fail, it would look very bad on Cummins and on the, the management of Cummins. So they're highly invested in the business and they want it to succeed. And Peter Lynch. I wish I was more prepared for this. All right, I'm going to stop sharing my screen for a second. And I'm actually going to go and find these quotes really quick in my uh, Gmail. But yeah, overall, I think that AdMood does look like a pretty decent stock selling for a, for a quite attractive price. And, um, and I seriously apologize that I was not prepared for this. All right, so right here, I have some quotes. I'll share my screen again. This is from the newsletter. So right here, this is from... Long screen. Amateur hour. This is from Peter Lynch. He says, spinoffs of divisions or parts of companies into separate freestanding entities often result in astoundingly lucrative investments. Peter Lynch, right there. I believe there is another quote in this newsletter... Maybe I didn't add it. It doesn't look like I added it. But Monish Kabrai actually had a quote saying that he believed spinoffs were incredibly attractive investments as well. And then even Charlie Munger, he said, there's three types of investments investors should focus on, in his opinion. Don't forget the first two, but the last one was spun off businesses. And again, it's because these businesses, these massive conglomerates like Cummins, they spin off businesses with very strong finances and they're heavily invested in seeing these businesses succeed. They want their spinoffs to succeed. 
and spinoffs typically do very well. I actually saw a comment. Um, that's kind of going to wrap up my thoughts on uh, Atmu. But I saw another comment on this stock right here, Lumen. Is a spinoff of Constellation Software. It's a brand new spinoff. Full disclosure, I do own shares in this business. I own Constellation Software, so when they spun off Lumen, I got shares gifted to me. And then additionally, I bought more shares of Lumen. So I do own the stock here as well. And this is another one. You're not going to find any financial data on it because, you know, it's a recently spun off stock. So if you want to understand the financials of this business, you have to go and read through like hundreds of pages of SEC filings, find out, you know, the historical performance of this business. How does it grow? And uh, what are its finances like even? And you're not going to find that information on Stock Unlock or on any other investment platform. You have to go through the SEC filings, which basically means that there's this large barrier to entry for spun off businesses like this. And a lot of investors straight up are just not going to do the work. So there's, so if you are looking for, or sorry, if you're researching spinoffs, then your competition of other investors looking at these businesses is quite low, which also means that they typically sell for very attractive prices and they're heavily misunderstood. So people don't want to buy them. That, in my opinion, is why Atmu, when I covered it in the newsletter, was trading for a price to free cash flow of eight, which means that it had a free cash flow yield of 12 to 13%. Because people don't seem like they, they want to analyze spinoffs and they're hard to understand and you have to do a lot of work to understand them. Lumen Group is another good example of that right now, in my opinion, which is why I have been adding to it. And um, I'm not going to talk about this business more, though. I actually was planning on never bringing this up. And yes, I do own stocks that I don't talk about ever on YouTube. And I was planning on leaving this to be one of them, but it's a good example. Um, another one is Topicus. This is another CSU spinoff, another Constellation software spinoff. There is now data on it because it's been a public company for quite some time. But it was spun off here in 2021. I also own shares in this business, by the way, full disclosure. Here's what I'll tell you. If Constellation Software spins off a business, I am going to be researching it immediately. I'm going to be very interested in it immediately. And there's a high likelihood that I will own its shares. I will tell you that. So if Constellation Software ever continues to spin off businesses in the future, just know that me, Daniel Pronk, is going to be researching them very quickly and probably buying more of them. So I'll give you that. <laughs> Anyways, this stock is up 62%, 63% since its IPO in 2021. It went through this massive hype cycle in 2021. But, and then it, it did see that massive decline here of about 54%. And I bought my shares right around here in the 60s. I was buying it below 70. And now it's up, uh, it's up about 40% for me. But this is another really interesting business. I also did get shares gifted to me from CSU, so I do own those ones as well, but I was buying more of it around here when it came down. But this is another very interesting business, and it's a spinoff, and it's done very, very well. It's done very well, and I think that it will continue to do very well. So yeah, definitely pay attention to spinoff businesses. That was a huge tangent. I'm sorry. Very sorry about that, but uh, yeah, spinoff businesses are very, very interesting, and I, I really like them. Knockabout says, 83% shares controlled by Cummins. Cummins offering their shareholders a stock swap with remaining shares offered on exchange. This is in relation to Atmu. So, yeah. Um, Jonathan has some comments here. 
Oh, sorry. Jonathan just said Antipicus. Yes, Antipicus is what we were talking about. So, yeah, um, I would try and find that. You know, I'm going to stop sharing my screen. I want to I want to find that Charlie Munger quote now. I'm going to find it on spinoffs. Interesting. Yeah, right here. Share my screen again. Spinoffs often present attractive opportunities for value investors. Charlie Munger. And it was one of the three investments he said. Um, sorry, I'm just reading. Yeah, it's one of the three investments he said. Anyways, I'm going to get back on topic here. We're almost at an hour as well. So I will answer some questions. Maybe this one will be quick. We are one. What's up? Anyone else know if Daniel bought BN or BN.TO? I'm a Canadian. Wasn't sure if there's a difference between the two tickers. If one is better, by the way, where is Jake? Um, Yeah, so whenever I cover a stock or talk about it, like for example, I recently did a video on TD and that I was buying more TD, which I am actively buying TD at this price. I cover the, the U.S. ticker because the majority of my audience, the vast majority of my audience is in the United States. So I just cover the U.S. ticker. But if there is a Canadian ticker, I will always be buying the Canadian ticker because it's just much more efficient for me. I don't have to convert currency. So if I ever talk about BN, I, you know, look at this stock as a Canadian, I am buying BN.TO. If there is a Canadian ticker, personally, I will be buying the Canadian ticker. And Jake is in Croatia. He's on vacation. So that is uh, that is that. He tried to make it to the stream, but his girlfriend, I feel like his girlfriend was like, no, you're on vacation. You're not working, which is fair. You should take a vacation. That guy works way too much. Okay, we're going to get back here. SM Finance. This what's up, SM Finance? This this person is always in our live streams. Really appreciate. I was just about to type in SM Finance, but you know you don't have a ticker. Sorry about that. ETF.B. Everyday People Financial. Could you look at it? It's a small cap financial that's growing revenue huge, and management just said they are stopping compensation until profitable. Still, still unprofitable, but would like to see your opinion. Sorry, I just had a hiccup. Oh, this is a very small cap. We're talking like $10 million. And we don't have financial data for it. I can't give you my opinion. I'm sorry. Um, This is a friggin' penny stock, though. So I would uh, definitely be careful. Definitely be careful. And uh, that's all I'm going to say. Oh, Eugene says, there are reports that Apple has plans to launch its own credit card in India in partnership with HDFC Bank, in partnership with HDB. Not bad. Not bad at all. Okay. Uh... Crypto mining stock, Riot. I will not talk about a crypto mining stock. I'm sorry about that. I think they're very speculative. I have no idea what Bitcoin's going to do. And I think that they rely on Bitcoin. 
and the prices of Bitcoin, at least. Uh, let's do Expedia. Oh, Eugene, sorry. I'll do this one first. Was that newsletter sent recently? I don't think I received it. It was a subscribers-only newsletter. I send those out once a month on the 15th of every month to paying Stock Unlock subscribers. So if you were a Stock Unlock subscriber, a paying subscriber, on June 15th, then you should have got it. Let me know, um, Eugene, let me know if you did not get it. And check your check your junk mail. Sometimes they go there. It sucks. I don't know why that happens, but sometimes they go there. If you didn't get it, I can uh, send it to you. Just give me your email. All right, let's talk about Expedia. I think this is Expedia. Yeah. Okay, so this company's been around for a very long time. 2005. It's up 384%, which means it's outperforming the S&P 500. Not by as much as some other stocks, but it is outperforming the S&P 500. Expedia, I think, is a pretty well-known business. It's a $15 billion company. They compete with Airbnb. They're like an online travel company. Um, I think they do more than Airbnb, though. I think they... They have like, I probably shouldn't be talking about that because I'm not, I'm not certain, but I believe they compete with Airbnb. You can like book hotels and stuff through Expedia. All right. So let's take a look at their revenue. Is their quarterly revenue at an all time high? Not really. Okay. So their trailing 12 months revenue, $12 billion pre COVID, it was 12 billion. So their revenue has basically fully recovered since COVID. Has their cash flow though? Operating cash flow is higher and it's kind of been flatlining for the past about couple of years actually. Hasn't really grown over the past couple of years. Stock based compensation is a low amount of operating cash flow. That is good to see. Free cash flow is quite high at around 2.8, 2.9 billion. It's about flat over the past few years though. So how has the stock performed over the past few years? This doesn't really surprise me because cash flow isn't really going up and revenue is kind of just back to where it was. It is cheap though. Wait, what is happening here? Is that right? Price to free cash flow of five? What? They're buying back shares. They're paying back debt. Okay. What are they doing with their cash flow? Let's figure this out. $3.6 billion comes in. Okay. They spend $700 million on CapEx. So they got $3.1 billion left. $1.4 billion goes to paying back debt, which gives them, what is that, $1.7 left? $900 million went to buying back shares. Okay. So they should have like a billion left. Okay. Balance sheet. Was there, does their balance sheet suck? What's going on here? $6 billion in cash. $25 billion assets. $23 billion in liabilities. Is their debt going up? No, because they're paying down their debt. They're getting rid of their debt. So they're actively getting rid of debt too. Tangible book value is negative. Okay. 
this business looks kind of cheap. A five price to free cash flow. I'm just going to take a look at what insiders are doing now. Of course, my internet's going to be slow. I'm sorry about that, everyone. Whenever I stream, it's slow, but this is exceedingly slow. Okay. I might have to give up on that. So think about this. This is a $15 billion company, apparently, doing over $2 billion in free cash flow. 5.4 price to free cash flow, which is an 18% free cash flow yield. Take a look. Has it always been this cheap? Oh, man, my internet's just bugging out right now. Okay, so it was this cheap in 2012. Got up to 31. Pre-COVID, it was 10. And now it's back down to 5. During the, start, during the Great Recession, it was 5 as well. So it's down to prices that match the Great Recession, basically. Its average has been 11.6. It's currently 5.5. So it's half its average. So what it looks like to me is that people are pricing this stock's fundamentals to start declining. It looks like the market is not bullish on this business's future over the next few years. Because think about this. If you got a free cash flow yield of 18%, you don't even need to grow the business anymore. They could call it quits. They could be like, you know what? No, we're not even going to focus on growing anymore. We're just going to pay an 18% dividend. And we're going to call it a day. And shareholders should be happy with that. That's what this business could theoretically do right now with this cash flow. Which tells me, and that would be a fantastic return. 18% return is fantastic. That is incredible. So this tells me that the market is not, is not pricing this to last. So the market is pricing this business's free cash flow to start coming down. And then the question for me would be like, is the market right? And if that is what the market is pricing in, why are they pricing that in? And again, are they right? So I would want to know, like, what is this company doing? How is it going to continue pursuing growth? How is it going to maintain its cash flow? Are they projecting free cash flow to drop? I really wish, oh, okay. Insider, insider loaded for us. Let's go. So I'm not seeing, there was a sell rate here at $95. Really? Weird. Exercises, more sales right here, $89. Why are they selling the shares at an 18% free cash flow yield? Who knows? Maybe the business is projected to decline in the future. Maybe people aren't traveling. Maybe everyone got the travel bug out of their system, and now people don't want to travel. I'm not seeing any buys. These are grants. These are options. But people are selling. So that's what I would want to know. I would really want to know, like, what is... What is the company projecting and why is the market pricing this so cheap? Because it does look, it looks too cheap. Okay, let's, uh, someone says B King is also cheap, which is, I believe another 
Airbnb type competing business. It's not as cheap. 13 price to free cash flow, 7.6% free cash flow yield. It's not nearly as cheap. It's actually selling at all time highs right now, it looks like. But whoa. This stock is a 100x since 2004. Crazy. It's not as cheap. Royal says many things are cheap because of interest rates. I mean, things are getting cheaper. Um, yeah, Expedia is dying over time. I mean, the revenue is remaining consistent, though. But if the overall travel market is growing and the revenue is remaining consistent, then that would mean that they're losing market share. Because if they're not growing with the overall market, then competitors are taking the market. David, exactly. Maybe Expedia is losing market share. To the greatest stock of all time, Airbnb. <laughs> if Jake was here, he would agree with you. Um, for those of you who don't know, Jake is a huge Airbnb bull. He thinks this is going to be like a half a trillion dollar company one day. And who knows? It could be. Who knows? But I did just see that Dallas banned Airbnbs in a section of the city. And people are... <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. And uh yeah, there people are people are not happy. Some people are very unhappy with Airbnb. So we'll see. We'll see. I am I'm not an owner of the stock. Jake is very bullish, but we disagree there on that one, and that's okay. Okay. We have a comment here. Someone says, Daniel, have you ever bought a stock of a company that was not profitable, currently unprofitable? What kind of qualitative aspects did you change your mind? A short answer will suffice. Yes, I have. The company I talked about previously, Magnet Forensics. I wonder if we still have the data. Did they get acquired? Magnet Forensics. Yep. So you can see it got acquired. It no longer trades. And uh, down here is where I was buying the stock. And then I actually added to the position in the 20s around here. And then it, it got acquired. Do we still have the financials? Yes. And the cash flow? Yes. Okay. So when I... I'll show you the free cash flow. I might be lying to you. Sorry. I might be lying to you. I am lying to you. I thought this business was unprofitable when I bought it, but it wasn't. Was it net income unprofitable? The net income was low. It was low. It was generating like, you know, a million dollars in net income. 270 million here. It wasn't unprofitable though. So I guess the the reality is no. I guess the reality is no. I haven't. I might be lying to you though. I feel like I haven't, but I would need to look. There's nothing that comes up in my brain, but that's just using human memory, which is unreliable. So Right now, I'm going to say no, but let me take a look through my history. I might have. Okay. Um, I'm well over an hour now, so I'm going to cut off the stream here soon. I'll take one more question. Hey, Daniel, if market is higher levels... Sorry. Hey, Daniel, if market is at higher levels, and if we want to build a cash position, where do you think we can have our cash invested safely? Till we see good opportunities again. Any stocks, ETFs in the USA? Well, I'm not a financial advisor. I can't really give you financial advice, but 
I think a place to park cash would be in like a, if you're in Canada, it would be like a GIC. I think they're paying like 5% right now. And uh, there shouldn't be any volatility with that or anything. You're basically just loaning money to the government. So if you want to build cash and get a return on cash, it would be like GICs or bonds, essentially. Art Dog says, didn't you buy Tilray? Yeah, when it was Afria. That is correct. I did own Afria at one point, which turned into Tilray, which has been a very bad stock to own. Luckily, I sold that at a profit. But yeah, that was a very bad stock to own. In hindsight, holy smokes. Um, Yeah, it looks like we don't have data on Afria. Now it's just Tilray, but I believe that Afria was actually unprofitable at the time. So yes, I did own Afria. Yeah, cannabis stocks have just been getting wrecked. Freaking wrecked. What is the stock? The stock is down like 80% year to date. Just freaking getting demolished. So yeah, I guess I did. Okay, there's a lot of stuff still coming in, but uh, that's going to wrap up the, the live stream, everyone. And uh, it's been over an hour. My voice is starting to hurt. GTBIF is down too. Yep, all cannabis stocks. You know what, Rob? I did own Tattooed Chef at one point for a very small amount of time. You're right. And then I, I came to my senses and got out of it pretty quick. You're right. So yes, you guys are right. I have owned unprofitable stocks. A few of them. Thank you for letting me know. <laughs> but yeah, okay. I'm going to wrap up the stream now, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. It was fun. And uh, next week, Jake should be here. Actually, I might not be here, though. I'm gone next weekend. Okay, I'll let you guys all know. Maybe we'll do a stream in the middle of the week or like on a Friday because I think I'm actually gone next weekend. So we'll have to figure that out. And I'll let you all know in the Discord. We'll make an announcement with uh, all that. I'll stop sharing my screen too. Cool. All right, thank you everyone for tuning in. Hope you have a great weekend. It's a beautiful day in Calgary, so I'm going to get outside and uh, who knows, maybe go kayaking or something. But yeah, thank you everyone for tuning in and we will see you next week sometime.